0: Thanks, Keith, and worship team. Good morning, everyone. If you would, could you turn in your Bible, thanks, to James chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we will be glad to give you one. Just wait a moment and some folks will be coming down the aisle. Just raise your hand. If you're visiting with us, we'd love for you to keep the Bible and bring it back and start reading it. We're studying right now through the book of James. And we're finding that the book of James is like a litmus test. It helps me to know if my faith is real, if my Christian faith is what the Bible calls true, genuine faith. And we've noted that our faith shows up in different relationships. So, this morning, I want to remind you as we start that our relationship with God... When you become a Christian, there's a number of ways that God describes that relationship. First of all, when you're forgiven, the Bible says you become a child of God. So really and genuinely, God adopts you, births you into his family. So from now on, he's your father. Sometimes he describes us as his servants. So we become servants of the Lord. But sometimes he uses the analogy of marriage To describe our relationship, not just corporately. I think we all know, if you're a Christian, you know that the Bible describes Christians as the body of Christ, but sometimes we're called the bride of Christ. He's he's the, the head, and we're the bride for whom he died. But individually, marriage is also an analogy of what it means to be a Christian, because there is a connection here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Whoever joins himself to a prostitute, you shouldn't do that, you become one flesh with her. But he says, but whoever joins himself to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So part of becoming a Christian is kind of like a marriage ceremony in that there's a covenant. Jesus offers this new covenant of grace through his blood in which he says... I will completely forgive you because I died on the cross for all of your sins and was raised from the dead. If you will repent of your sin and just turn and believe in me, then I will forgive you and you will become my child. And so we call that conversion. There has to be a point where you make a personal decision to become a Christ follower. You receive him. You believe in him. But once you've done that, you and I then enter into a relationship with God of which Much like a relationship of marriage, there's a requirement of faithfulness. And so this morning's passage, I've actually entitled, The Litmus Test of Loyalty, Submission to Our Gracious, Jealous God. From a human standpoint, because we're sinners, there's always the potential of, in a relationship, someone cheating on one another. And then there becomes suspicions and jealousies, and and we start to wonder, do they love me, or I don't feel like I'm first in your life, or how come you're hiding your cell phone, or why are you not coming home at night? But what God does is He describes our relationship in such a way that if we begin to drift from Him, He calls that adultery, and we just read a passage. And so, In essence, what God is saying is, I don't like when my people commit adultery against me. So we're working through the book of James and we're going, okay, James is showing that this church had a lot of conflicts in it, especially verbal conflicts. They're trading harsh words. They're angry. They're not being gentle and kind to one another. And so as we move into chapter four, the first thing we're going to find is that conflict, relational conflict is an evidence of unfaithfulness to God. Ultimately, it's to God. This is interesting to think about it. Imagine coming to a counselor and you're like, my husband and I are fighting. And, and the counselor goes, yeah, because you're, you're being unfaithful. And you're like, what? you cheating on me? No, no, no. You're being unfaithful to God. You're cheating on God. So I want us to think about that because James says, what is the source of your quarrels and your conflicts? Now, the word quarrels here is usually used of military, but the word conflict here is only used of of battles that occur on the human level, relational conflict. So no one here, but do you know there's actually people that in their marriage have relational conflicts? There's some people that don't get along with their their kids or their kids don't get along with them. Some people that don't get along with their neighbors, don't get along with their boss, they're angry. And think about it, when there's relational conflict, right? What kind of things do you see? We usually see ugly speech. Often, when there's relational conflict, you hear voices getting raised. You're like, How does he know what goes on in my house? You you hear harsh words, you hear criticism, and then sometimes divisiveness and the silent treatment, and we're not talking. We hear slander, then you go talking to others about what a jerk this person is, and then misusing language and, and misusing our tongue. And so James starts with this question, hey, what is the, what's the cause of this conflict? And of course we're all going, well, duh, it's them. And James is going, no, I think we might want to reevaluate that. He says, let's start with this. First of all, have you ever thought that if you have conflict with people, it might be because you're unfaithful to God? So let's pray and we'll look at this. Lord, thank you so much for your word and I pray that your spirit will speak through your word and that Jesus will be lifted up and praised. We wanna see Jesus. I need to hear this passage. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to grow us as a church and as individuals. I pray for every boy and girl and men and women, some here that might not yet have surrendered to Christ, others of us who are Christians, some have lost their way, some are walking close to you. Just speak to us as a church as we gather around your word. And we give you praise and glory for the power of your word to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start with this premise. What's the cause of your quarrels and conflicts? Well, we know it's an evidence of unfaithfulness because in a few verses he goes, you're adulterous. So let's answer the, the, the second question. What causes it? Selfishness. It's not these morons that I live with or these dumbbells that I work with. It's selfishness. What is the cause of quarrels and conflicts among you? Well, James answers it. Look at the middle of verse one. Is not the source of your conflicts inward, it's your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and you do not have. In other words, you want what you can't have. It's interesting, the word pleasures here, the Greek word hedone, is the word from which we get the word hedonism. Hedonism, that philosophy of life that it's all about pleasure, right? He's a hedonist, it's just all he does is indulge himself. Whenever it's used in the New Testament, pleasure has a connotation of sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. Like God's not opposed to pleasure. The Bible says God has created all things for us to gratefully enjoy. He's not up there saying, don't have any fun, don't enjoy life. Don't go camping. Don't enjoy good food. Don't enjoy intimacy in your relationship. No, don't have any fun. Not at all. But this word has to do with the self-indulgent, sinful things, desiring things that that we shouldn't have or or, or aren't ours. And it's also associated with coveting. And it's not just stuff on the outside. It can be in our very being. You can have this self-indulgent desire in our soul, thirsting for honor, thirsting for recognition and rivalry, like, why do they get that? And then there's also this indiscriminate hunger to, to indulge, whether it's sexual desires or our appetites. I want what I want. I'm Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. Get out of my way, right? And, and we all struggle with that. We can pretend that we don't have desires that are evil, but that's a lie, the Bible says we all have the lusts of the flesh, those sinful desires that are outside the will of God, why am I looking at someone else's wife, why am I wishing I had that job, or, or, you know, just untold things, a a prettier wife, a, a better boss, why can't I be the boss, why, 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 I want better looks, or a bigger house, or why doesn't anybody recognize me, or why do I have to have these parents, so we all have these rumblings inside of us, James says. Those are your, 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 your pleasures that are waging war in your members. And you go, well, when does this start? Maybe like around 18 or 19? You're going, oh, how about about eight months? Eh, <clears throat> give me that. You know, no, we need to learn how to share. So these are deep-rooted things that only the Holy Spirit can change us in. So notice what he says. He says, this is what's causing... So you're like, the reason I can't get along is because that person, and God's going, no, it's probably not that person, maybe you have an idea in your mind that the only way you can be happy is if that person acts a certain way, if they respect me, or, or if a man says, well, if my wife would just be intimate with me more, then I, but she's, you know, it's, it's crazy, you can see people who are one minute there, oh, I love you, I love you, and then as soon as you get in my way, why I oughta?" and you're like, what just happened there, And so James is telling us, look, look deep inside, usually conflict. If you poke around, you're going to find selfishness. And it's so easy for us to go, yeah, that person I live with is selfish. And James going, no, stop that. So he says, you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. Now, actually, there are some commentaries who believe this is literal, like some of these new converts were from the the zealots, right? And I'm going, that's hard to imagine you know that after church there, the usher if the ushers would just take the dead bodies out, please, you know so probably it's metaphorical, but the idea here is it's it's kind of like hypothetically, this is what ends up. you keep fighting you're going to kill one another like Galatians five he says, if you bite and devour one another you you're, 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 you're going to be consumed by one another and even with kids you're like, my kids are always fighting and and then we're like, but let me handle it a better way. Knock it off before I... And you're like, that's, that's just feeding into this. So, James says, whether it be possessions or position, if you want stuff and you can't get it, and that gets you mad and you're in conflict, that's unfaithfulness to God. So what do I do about it? Well, James says, first of all, you ask and you don't receive. Now, you might ask, there. what is he talking about? What, what is it that they're asking for? I tried praying about it, and God didn't, did, didn't, didn't answer it. But, but sometimes, even before that, we don't even ask. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. Now, that's interesting, because I have a lot of people say to me, you know, Pastor, I, I don't like to bother God with the little stuff. You know, I feel weird praying about the little stuff. Don't feel weird praying about little stuff. God is your Father. Jesus went out of his way to say, listen, God is a loving father, and he loves to give good things to his children. I mean, you got to be pretty messed up if you hate to give things to your kids. Now, I get it. You're like, you don't know my kid. He's 23. He lives in the basement. Then you need to stop giving him stuff and make him get a job. But, but you get it. Like at Christmas, you don't go, oh, fine, i got to give gifts. And Jesus says, you're evil, and yet you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father want to give good things to those who ask? So he says, so ask, and it'll be given to you. So probably here, though, what was it that they were not even asking for? They wanted it, because you want this, but you don't even ask for it. Maybe here it was, they wanted honor. They wanted prestige. And you're like, why do you say that? Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, who among you wants to be teachers? You better dial it back. And then in verse 12 later, remember he says, who among you is wise and understanding? So maybe he senses in the church there's people that are jockeying for, I want to be a leader, I want to be important. And he goes, you don't even ask God for it. But notice the next phrase, he goes, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, sometimes God says no, not because you didn't ask him, but because it was a very selfish request, right? But we're good at this. Lord, I notice that that family down the street has children, and I'd like to take them to church, so if I could just get that brand-new Mercedes, I'm going to drive them. Lord, you know that if we could have a really big building pool, you know, once a summer we could have a youth picnic and bring the church over... And God's going, please stop, right? So, but there's nothing, you could ask for a pool, you could ask for a car. God delights in that, but we have to stop and ask ourselves, why am I asking for this? Lord, I pray that my wife would be nicer. Why are you praying for that? Is it because you love her and because you want her to grow in Christ and be fruitful, or is it because it'll make my life easier? And so as we pray, we need to stop and think like, am I asking with God's glory in my mind? Am I asking, will this, will this help advance God's kingdom? Will, will I ask with, with a loose request that says, Father, if this isn't good or if it's not your will, let your will be done. When my, when my kids were living in Arizona and, 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 and I'm pleading with God to move them closer with my grandchildren, I was reading a book and J.I. Packer said, if you pray to God for something, explain why. And I would say to the Lord, Lord, you said in Deuteronomy 6, talk of the Lord when you lie down and rise up. Please, Lord, allow me to pour into my grandchildren and my, my, my daughter and her husband to mentor them. And what a joy. Now they live three houses away. And, and I'm so thankful. And I've had people say, hey, can you teach me that grandparent's prayer? You know, which one is it? <laughs> it's not a grandparent's prayer. I don't have like a magic formula. And just because God doesn't bring them close by, it doesn't mean you're selfish. But, but it's those kind of things. Like, why? Why do we ask God for things? Okay? There's nothing wrong with asking, Lord, I'd like to have a spouse. That doesn't make you bad, right? But just be going, is this for his glory? Is this, is this to advance his cause? Or is it selfish? And sometimes I go, yeah, well, hmm, you got me there, Lord. So, Meanwhile, back at God quarters, how does God feel when we're unfaithful to him, right? Well, the Bible tells us. Jealousy is God's response to our unfaithfulness. So he sends his son to die for us. He brings us to himself. He forgives us all of our sins. And then he says, I want to be first in your life, right? Years ago, my wife and I went to counseling with this counselor who specializes with pastors he says tom if i had a nickel for every pastor's wife who said i think i would get more attention if i was per- his parishioner you know and i was like a punch in the face like wow she wasn't you know somebody else go oh yeah yeah and and, and think about this you, you plumber who goes um you know your wife's going we've well, fixed the sink and you, you well you don't have time to fix the sink and i remember hearing one guy say this um, he, was a, he was a carpenter, right? And he's fixing everybody else's stuff and his wife can't get him to fix their own screen porch. And finally he says, yeah, well, you know why? He says, guess what that little old lady says when I fix her porch? Oh, you're so wonderful. Must be great to be married to a guy like you, right? What do you say when I fix it? Well, it's about time, you know. <laughs> so, but, but how do you think God feels, right? So look at what the scripture says. God says in verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And you're going, wait a minute, who's this world? How am I cheating on God with the world? Like, who's your lover? The world. What? what? Okay, so, so think about this. So far, he's just said, you're fussing and fighting because you're selfish. What's that have to do with the world? Well, I want you to understand that when the Bible speaks of the world, and as a growing Christian, write this down, so a year from now you don't go, what's the world? So you go, okay, let me make sure I understand that. Frequently the Bible will refer to the world in a negative sense. Romans 12.1, do not be conformed to this world. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. Okay, so make sure we got this. It doesn't mean when you go into a thrift store and you see a globe, you go, I hate that, right? It's not the planet. When the Bible describes the world, I want you to think of it, it's a way of life, it's a mindset, it's a system, okay? So it's this evil way that people live that leaves God out, okay? Why are you looking at me? What did I say to do? Write it down. An evil way that people live, that leaves God out, okay? So it's bigger than just, you know, because we throw this word around very inaccurately, like, oh, sister so-and-so wore so much makeup, she is so worldly. <laughs> makeup doesn't make you worldly. Oh, they watch that show, they're worldly. Watching a certain show is not worldly. To love the world is to disconnect from God. It's to disengage from God. It doesn't have to be something overtly evil. It could be something like your work. If you are obsessed with your work and that's what occupies all your time and your thoughts and your effort, that's loving the world. If you are obsessed with your family and you have no time for God, that's loving the world. Whenever we disconnect from God, we are loving the world and the things of this world. Our whole life is being lived on a horizontal level. And we all fight against that. And the place where it's the hardest to fight against that is places like America, where there is undue opportunity for indulgence and comfort and pleasure. You're like, well, I only watch six hours of football a week. Nothing evil about football. And I'm going, I agree. But how much time do you spend with the Lord or working for the Lord, right? So James has gone, friendship with the world, you see, the, the world system, and, and usually when you're friends with the world, you're also associated with the things and behaviors and people of this world. You start, yeah, well, you know, I like hanging out with my friends, you know, and going to the bar and, you know, just chilling with my boys, or, you know, it's, it's subtle, and, and, and you're spending all your time on your favorite soap operas and stuff, like, instead of saying, hey, life is about living for Christ, Okay, so he says friendship with the world puts you at hostility with God. And here's God's feeling about that. He says, do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? In other words, was God wasting his breath when he said he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? In other words, he wants to be first in your life. Now there's many ways to translate it, but but I think that's a good. He created you. He, he put the spirit in you, and 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 he wants your loyalty. He wants to be first in your life. Don't you all remember this as a parent? I loved when my daughters were little, and man, I was their world. Everything revolved around me. And then all of a sudden one day I'm like, hey, do you want me to take you to school? I just got it again. I said, call say, hey tell Peyton, my granddaughter, I'll take her to school. My daughter says, oh, dad, she'd rather ride the bus. What? (laughs) She'd rather be with somebody more than me, right? I don't understand, but but when we disengage our loyalty from Christ, which is so easy, that's why the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. When I stop setting my affection on Christ and cultivating my relationship with Christ, Imagine if you're dating someone who's overseas, and then pretty soon you stop calling them, you stop texting them, you stop emailing, you stop thinking about them, right? You're cheating on them, you're disengaged, and God's going, that makes me jealous. I want your loyalty, not an evil jealousy, but a love that says, I bought you. I'm a gracious God, but I bought you. Now, by now, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not paying attention, you're going, Pastor, this makes me uncomfortable. It makes me, up. I had to study it all week. It's slicing me up, the sword of the Spirit, and I'm laying on the floor like a... So, I'm not just talking to you. This is, this is painful, but it's the truth. And sometimes we don't need positive, encouraging, K-love, we need God to say, hey, where are you in your heart, and your loyalties? So, thankfully, God's Word is not only correcting But it trains us, it shows us the way back. And so God gives us the cure to our unfaithfulness. If you're away from the Lord, you probably didn't wake up and fall away overnight. But he didn't move. He doesn't have a new address. And so he calls us back. Now for some of you, he's calling you for the first time because maybe you just ignored him your whole life and suddenly you're like, oh my word, I want to find God. I want to come to Jesus. That's awesome. But even after you've done that, there are times where the GPS has gone, wow, recalculating adulterer. It's time to come back to God. And so there's some very practical suggestions that God has here. Look at, at, at this instruction. Ironically, the first thing he does is gives us an encouragement. He says, listen, this submission that I'm looking for, I will enable it by my grace. I am not going to ask you to turn from your worldly loves and disaffection to me on your own. I will give you real, tangible power to change. That's one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith. It's not just self-help. You can do it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit changing us. We can do all things through Christ. So look at verse six. After calling us out for being adulterous, he says, but he, God, gives a greater grace. I want you to make a note of this. When the Bible talks about grace in this respect, You could substitute the word help, power, enablement. It's not just theoretical pie in the sky. We are saved by grace, but we're also enabled by special grace that God gives us as we ask for it couple passages to reinforce this. In 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul said, I have this painful thorn in the flesh, and I asked Jesus, Lord, I can't change this. Would you take it away? And he goes, nope, but my grace, my power, my enablement will help you. And you're like, well, well, where do I get this grace that actually will change my heart? You get it from God as you ask for it. In Hebrews chapter four, the Bible says, Jesus was tempted as we are And he can come to our aid. So it says, so draw near to the throne of grace and he will give grace to help you. You're like, Lord, this person, I can't get along with them. What do you mean you can't get along with them? The Bible doesn't say I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't stop this habit. What do you mean you can't stop this habit? He gives a greater grace. God will pour out upon us. He wants us to follow him. You say, pastor, my heart feels dead. Well, he cares about that. Ask him to awaken it. The Bible says God works in us to will and work for his good pleasure. The psalmist said this, Lord, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Revive me, O Lord. If nothing else, ask God. Awaken me, God. I'm cheating on you and I don't even know how to stop. I will give you grace, but you got to come. Come and submit. So it's enabled by grace. But secondly, it involves a resolve. The devil will not assist you in your submission. He has a singular goal, and that is to keep you and God apart. And he will start throwing down the roadblocks and the temptations and the distractions and the lies and the discouragement because he doesn't want you to come back to God. He does not want you to renew your relationship with Christ. He's not even happy that you're listening to this right now. And those of you that are asleep, he is delighted with you. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. So James says in verse 7, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's resolve. That's like, I'm, I am... I I do not want to keep going down the same path, doing these same stupid things, looking at this porn or going to that bar and getting drunk or lying to my wife or being so lazy and neglecting God and thinking all about everything else but Jesus and coming to church every once in a while. I want to turn to God with all my heart and begin to follow him. See, this resolve reminds me, here's the opposite of that. It reminds me of a story I heard of a little boy. He grew up in a really strict home. It's kind of sad, but The parents are like, you don't swim on Sunday. Sunday's the Sabbath, and you don't swim. And so all the other kids would swim at the little farm pond on that Sunday. So one afternoon, he was was going out. He said, I'm going out to play. And his mom said, why do you have a lump in your pants? And, And he pulls out. It's a bathing suit. And she said, I thought I told you we don't swim on Sunday. He goes, no, I know. He goes, I'm just taking this in case the devil tempts me. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not resolve. You follow that, right? That's not resolve to say, I know it's not going to be easy. Satan's going to tempt me to say, you can't change. You're one of those losers, right? And God's going, no, you can. So come back to me. This is what it looks like. First of all, I'll help you. Secondly, resolve that you're going to resist the devil. Third, notice that as we think about this this resolve and this this willingness to, to resist the devil, I have to be willing to have a deep repentance towards God. Really practical here. We're not talking about... Out there in La La Land, like very practical stuff, pointed stuff. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, generally speaking, draw near to God involves worship and prayer. Okay? So the very first thing is run to God seriously. Right? Well, I do talk to God on my way to work, you know, as I'm eating my toast. God help me to do good at work today. That's not drawing near to God. That's not diligently seeking God. That's not turning from sin to God. You're like, yeah, but pastor, I'm so busy. "Eh." That's the whole point. Whatever is keeping me or you from really getting serious with God, guess what? If you, if you feel far from God, he didn't move He's not going to send you, oh, please make a note of my new address. Come find me sometime. No, he's, he's steady. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. And when I'm away from him, there's a very straightforward solution. Turn and return. Draw near to God. And he doesn't, he's not waiting there going, what are you doing? He will draw near to you. He's, you come towards him, he'll run towards you. That's prodigal son, right? He didn't go, it's about time you came back here, you little he ran, and he wept, and he embraced him. God loves us. He, Christ wants a deep relationship with us, but we have to draw near to him. And, and, and sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I'll tell you what, that person, who I owe them an apology, but I'm not going to grovel. Well, when it comes to God, if I was you, I'd grovel. Because look what he says here. This is just like, yeah, God, well, I hear you're not too happy with me. You' happy now? Look what it says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the strongest call for repentance of Christians in the New Testament. Do you think this would be a bestseller? Pastor, did you hear about Pastor Tom's new book, "A Serious Call to Repentance: Cleansing your hands from sinners. Think that'll? make it up there with your best life now? <laughs> Probably not. Because this is what we need to hear, but not always what we want to hear. But he says, cleanse your hands, your, your, your sinners, and purify your hearts. What, what, what's, what's this hand and heart thing? Well, that's kind of a, a, a analogy that's used sometimes in the Old Testament. Who can draw near to God? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. The idea here is it's, it's both deeds and attitudes. Your deeds and your disposition. It's not just like, stop it, that's bad. But it's like, but what's going on in my heart, right? There's external behavior, and there's internal attitudes. There can be pride and laziness, and nobody else can see them, but you see them, God sees them, and sometimes it's a, just a mean-spiritedness toward others. And so cleansing my hands is like, okay, if I'm doing stuff that's wrong, I need to resolve. I want to stop that. And if I'm purifying my heart, I'm going, Lord, I don't just want to clean up the outside of the cup. I need you to change me. I need you to wash me. I need you to help me to be different in how I act and how I react. Radical repentance, embracing the whole person. And I know this isn't easy. Look what James says here. You're like, really? Talk about Debbie Downer. Look at verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and weep. What? Mourn and weep? But I thought, I thought that, that the songwriter said, Now I am happy all the day. What? Mourn and weep? Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Like, what's that mean? there's a time to laugh, a time to enjoy life. God, God, Jesus, I believe Jesus laughed. He rejoiced. He had joy. But but Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. About what? About sin. About my own sin. About the grievous destruction that sin is having on people that I love. About the grievous destruction that sin is having on my nation about the grievous destruction that sin and satan is having on this world and millions of people are perishing and going to hell and if i'm just skipping along like the grasshopper just having a good old time see sometimes in the bible laughter is associated with foolishness not always you can have joy and rejoicing but kind of this this checking out from your life with god but man life is good, I got a raise, I work 80 hours a week, we got this great vacation, and blah, 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 my fantasy team, and yeah, I'm, I'm dating someone, would you guys ever pray? No, do you ever read your Bible? No, then James says, okay, stop that. Let your laughter be turned to, you're like, but, what? but, but I listen to Caleb, positive, encouraging, not right now, not right now. I, if, if I had to do this every week, I wouldn't want to. I'd go, please, Lord, do we have to talk about this? But I appreciate God, God, right? Okay, God, I I, I hear what you're saying. Have you ever fasted, turned from your sin, and just said, I, I instead of eating to breakfast today, I'm gonna pray. I mean, this is this is real and radical and tangible. Like, Lord, I'm determined, come hell or high water. I wanna, I wanna, if I'm away from you and I'm not living for you. I want to change, and I need your grace, and then God leaves us with with a real quick encouragement. He says, it's going to result in my blessing on your life. Look what he says. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He's going to lift you up. That joy will come back. It'll be the joy of the Lord. It'll be the strength of the Spirit. You're going to have a sense of being right with God, a peace that passes understanding, so lest we leave without really Pressing home these truths, number one, are you experiencing any relational conflict in your marriage? Some of you are going, "What?" <laughs> right? Some of you are having deep conflict in your marriage, and you're like, "Yeah, well." And God's like, "No, well, uh, let's start here. You can't be responsible for how they act; how you react. Are you having any conflict in your church, in your home, in, in, with your kids, or, or with your parents? Is there, is there anything brewing around there? Hey, you're, you're keeping me from being happy. You're blocking my pleasure. My kids are disobedient. You make me look bad. I deserve honor. I'm your parent, right? As opposed to going, wow, do I? And then, how much of my conflict is resulted to my selfishness? When two people are fighting, if you poke around, usually you're going to go, selfishness somewhere, Selfish, and it's usually in both, but sometimes way more than one than the other. But all of us can go, hmm, if I can't get along with people wherever I am, it might be me, right? And ultimately, this is just on a human level. It's not just, hey, let me talk self-help. Just be nice and get along with people. You know, think more deeply. This, this is my relationship with God, In what area might God be calling you or me to deeply repent and tangibly change your ways? I can't tell you how many times Christians say, yeah, I know I should be reading my Bible. I really should start praying regularly. I should get into a small group. I should start coming to church on a regular basis instead of just when the stars line up exactly and there's nothing else to do. What might you need to turn from or turn to? Like, I think to myself, this passage, I would encourage all of you, if you have somebody that's a close Christian friend, this would be a good passage to talk through. Please don't all come running to me, but, but to talk through and say, hey, what, what's God speaking to you about? And please don't go, yeah, he was speaking to me about you through this, right? Just what's he speaking to you about? You, you, you can do exactly what James says. You can be proud and stubborn and continue to live selfishly, or you can humble yourself and begin to live before God submissively. You're not going to go home perfect, but there's a directional change that James is asking us. Imagine a church of submitted Christians where more and more of people are are on their knees before God saying, Lord, I'm in a tough spot. I need your grace, but I believe in your, your blessing. I want you to draw near to me. I want you to lift me up. And then lastly, a number of you are, are, are trying to live for Christ. You're a, you're a growing disciple. You're a forgiven follower, but you have friends around you. This is counseling one-on-one. How will you help your spouse? How will you help your parent? How will you help your, your Christian brother to grapple with and repent in their own struggles? When people come to you, do you go, oh, what is wrong with you? Or do you come alongside and say, I get that. I struggle with selfishness. Here's what the Lord's teaching me. So those of you who are discipling your children and others, we all can 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 look beyond what's going on and go, well, let's talk about your relationship with Christ. Because I haven't met many marriages where both of them are passionately pursuing Christ and yet they're throwing bricks at each other. Right? So, and I'm not and I'm way beyond marriage here. This is about our relationship with God. So ultimately then. As, as we began with, we, we belong to a gracious, jealous God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. And now he's asking us to submit to him and live for him. So I want you to join me as we, as we, we try to pray that out and live it out. Father, thank you for your word. This is sobering stuff. But I thank you that, God, you're a loving, wonderful, gracious Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood so that we could not only be forgiven but we could change pour out your grace upon us change our desires if there's things that we need to repent of because we're leaving god out please help us raise up a generation of young people and parents who are disciples lord help us to be quick to forgive gentle gracious to others but help us to truly draw near to God, awaken within us a desire to spend time with you and your word and to grow. Help us to resist the devil and help those who are not yet saved to realize their lost condition and to seek the Lord while he may be found. Thank you for what you're doing. We believe you're blessing our church and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.